Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Probably Should Have Known Better. In this episode, we'll be discussing the film What Women Want. Trigger warnings for topics covered in this episode include sexual manipulation, underage sex, transphobia, depression, and suicide. Yeah, this movie is truly wild. Enjoy! That girl we met last night at the club? Nothing happened after you put her in the cab, right? It did? Something happened? She said she had to be in bed early. Well, I had her in bed by 11. Nick Marshall thought he was God's gift to women. Cappuccino extra foam. Tolo grande. Grande, or at least I'd like to think so. Next. But he's about to discover... <laughs> what women think. Because this isn't... For me, Nadia, this isn't just about... Um, just shitty Mel Gibson movies. This is also <laughs> this is also a podcast about friendship. Oh, truly, truly, yeah. and how friendship can last despite distance yes. and bad taste. That's that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what I'm going for. Yes. What women want? There's so many things about what women want on my desktop right now. I have. <laughs> I have, I took 10 pages. First of all, this movie's insanely long. It's too long! It's, it's too long. Uh, but I have 10 pages of notes just from watching the film. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to take Jesus' name in vain. That's, anyway. that's fine. That's allowed on this podcast. We're also going <laughs> to swear. Like, we're going to be listed as explicit in iTunes. There's going to be swearing. It's oh, It's going to happen. Don't try to hold back. Okay, cool. I, I have a lot to say, so this is going to be great. Good. Hold on. I can't, I can't find show notes. Here it is. Oh, by the way, I just want to know. I just want you to know that I have incense and two Virgin Mary candles going nice. because I really want this to go well. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. I should, um, I should actually get one of those. Yeah. Um, we got to make this a really Catholic show, but just really subliminally. Well, right. So so basically, this is... So a couple things just to emphasize up front. So it's a show about friendship. We've already established yes. that. It's a show uh, where we're allowed to swear. Um, yes. And then perhaps most importantly, uh, it's a show uh, of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Totally. Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Should Have Known Better, revisiting comedy that is aged very poorly. Uh, it's your pal, Tony Ginocchio, and I'm joined, as always, by the best partner that anyone could ask for in watching all of this crap. <laughs> it's your pal, Nadia Vasquez. Hey, pals. Are, it's me. <laughs> how are you doing, Nadia? <laughs> I'm doing really great. I'm recovering from watching the movie we were supposed to watch this week. The- I can't stop talking about it to everyone in my life, and they're like, that came out in, like, 2000. My wife <laughs> is so annoyed with me because <laughs> this has been all I've been talking about. All, let me, Sorry, let me back up for a second. I watched this movie a week ago, Sunday morning, and I woke up really early that morning because my carbon monoxide alarm was going off. <laughs> Oh no! It was an omen that this was going to be a terrible day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And but part of me was like, but I feel like getting carbon monoxide poisoning might actually like enhance my enjoyment of the film. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and so I, you know, we cleared it up. We replaced a battery. 
we're fine. We're not going to die, I guess. So there was no carbon monoxide. No, it, it was okay. It was the alarm was like dying. We replaced the battery. Oh. It was still beeping very loudly. We unplugged it. It was still beeping very loudly. It, we were just slowly being driven insane. <laughs> it was like a Phoebe Buffet thing. Exactly. Friends, yeah. But but then I, I went and uh, I rented the movie. I watched it. My wife was doing lesson planning. She works as a teacher. <laughs> she was coming in and out of the, the living room to, like, grab coffee while I was <laughs> sitting on my couch watching this movie and just taking <laughs> furious notes on my laptop. <laughs> Did she just see Mel Gibson walking around on your TV screen in pantyhose? And she's like, this is normal. Right. Exactly. I mean, she knew what I was like. She like I had told her what this was going to be, but I don't think she was ready for uh, the whole week after of me being like, you know, another problem with this movie. <laughs> you know what I did? I did kind of the opposite. I didn't really talk about the, how bad it was. It made me want to watch Pocahontas. Yeah. <laughs> So I started just watching that kind of every day and listening to the soundtrack. So I don't know. So the the movie that we're talking about this week is What Women Want with Mel Gibson, which we have never talked about until now. Yeah, and which uh, I, in podcast I had never land. seen until now. Wait, seriously? Yeah, I mean, I, I suggested it because I knew it had, well, it had two things going for it. It had a really kind of retrograde premise and it starred someone who is you know seriously fallen from grace since the movie came out um except he's kind of back which we can talk about oh we're getting to that yeah (laughs) he's not really fallen from grace if they keep hiring him thanks (laughs) if he if he keeps getting nominated for oscars is it really a fall from grace So we're talking about What Women Want, directed by Nancy Myers, uh, from the year 2000, starring Mel Gibson, as well as Helen Hunt and Marissa Tomei. And then the supporting cast, which we'll get to later, is uh, incredibly stacked. Like, just... What um, a cast. Uh, what rem- a cast. Yeah. Remarkable who's who of, like, actors that hadn't broken through yet. But this movie uh, is uh, over 17 years old, came out... December 15th, 2000, and Nadia, hit me with what was going on in the world at that time. You got it. So the movies we're going to cover span a lot of different eras, but this one was in the 2000s, and humanity was okay with a lot of things we find offensive now. So (laughs) for the purposes of this podcast, I wanted to give some historical context of what was really going on. Why did we accept these things that were... (laughs) put into our brains so let's get back into the mindset of year 2000s you know think think puka shells butterfly clips fubu george bush this is former current events (laughs) i was going to bring up george george bush because bush v gore the supreme court case was decided three days before this movie came out oh yeah oh yeah the recount in florida the shady ass recount was over (laughs) America was ready for, like, a break, and I guess Mel Gibson was like, all right, right. here we, I am. We just wanted to laugh again, more than ever. Yeah, but you know, what's extra funny is I, it was released in December, so this is totally a Christmas movie, <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> okay. But, I mean, we were a full year into the new millennium, we were ready for it, you know, we were tired, we, we just really wanted to not talk about politics, 
and then we got this. I mean, I really think Will Smith missed an opportunity by not releasing Millennium a year later. He released it in 1999. Well, he and was, I feel like he was trying to get ahead of good. things. Yeah. You know, I mean, he didn't know we were going to survive Y2K, so I forgive him. <laughs> uh, okay, so 2000, George Bush won the presidency. Jennifer Lopez wore that Versace dress to the Grammys, which subsequently led to Google Images being created. So thank you to the pervs for making the internet better, I guess. That's the green, the deep V. Oh, oh yes. Okay. Isn't that, isn't that gross, by the way? I didn't, in the year I didn't know that's why Google Images got created. It was the most searched thing and nobody could like just get to a picture. <laughs> so Google was like, all right, you pervs, here you go. It's, it's really sad. So, I don't know. It makes me sad when I Google image search things now. Uh, okay, so Eminem's Stan was such a big fucking deal that Stan was added to the dictionary. Awesome. And I didn't even, I didn't even know that Stan was a thing until about two years ago when I saw it on Tumblr. I could have looked it up on the regular dictionary, but I looked it up on Urban Dictionary. On the year 2000, also, Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton got married. Oh, yeah. And everything worked out from there, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah, because in the same year, Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt got married. See, no problem. Unrelated. <laughs> um, okay, so the cast of Friends, making a million dollars an episode. The most popular TV shows, this is where kind of humanity and society starts declining in quality, <laughs> is Survivor and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Uh-huh. And I think... The Apprentice comes out a couple years after that, right? I think that was 04, 05. I just have a small personal note on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, <laughs> uh, which is that uh, in the year 2000, I was in seventh grade, and I hosted my school's talent show as Regis oh Philbin, hosting oh. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Are you serious? Did you wear the suit and the whole thing? I wore the suit, the whole thing. Uh, I, like, <laughs> did a... I, just butchered a Regis Philbin-esque, like, New York accent. Can you do it? You can't just talk about it. You have to do it. I'm not going to do it. Because it was, like, oh, it was borderline offensive. I know we're here to talk about what women want, but if you really want to talk about comedy that hasn't aged well, I would say the Mary Seat of Wisdom elementary talent show uh, <laughs> in spring of 2000 is also up there. All right, so let me get back to the former current events. We have a, a couple things to go over here, especially for gamers, because the PS2 came out that year, and I never found peace again because games gamers wouldn't stop talking about how great the graphics were, starting from there. Uh, Britney Spears performed at the VMAs in her sparkly nude outfit. Oh, okay. An iconic performance. Absolutely, and probably another Google image search right there. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that, but probably... So around this time, pop music was all about Backstreet Boys, Christina Aguilera, NSYNC. So everybody was like pretty cool about Mel Gibson. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They had Jaw ja Rule. Mel Gibson's good. They had Matchbox 20. Helen Hunt's good. Savage Gardens, I Knew I Loved You. Sure. Wow. What a big hit. Aaliyah was still alive. Uh-huh. And she blessed us with the Romeo Must Die soundtrack that year. Okay. And you couldn't not hear Creed on the radio. This is, this is the time we were living in. This was a great time. Uh, okay, a couple of little known facts. I think you'll like this one. The Pope, JP2. Sure. He blessed the Pokemon franchise because the games didn't have any harmful moral side effects, according to him. That's awesome. And, and were based on, quote, ties of intense friendship. Honestly, like... 
I almost cried when yeah, I Yeah, I'm, I'm about to say, like, I know we're doing this to, like, make people laugh and, and stuff, but I'm, I've honestly felt more just, like, heartwarmed so far during the process, <laughs> which is great. Like, I'll take it. I just, um, it's not what I expected. It's truly wild. Uh, that was also the year People Magazine votus, voted Neil deGrasse Tyson as the sexiest astrophysic. Wait. Sexiest astrophysicist alive. That's crazy. Like, who was it the following year? Like, there aren't that many. I don't know, man. This is, it's it's wild. But the, the most important thing is that Blockbuster that year declined the chance to buy Netflix for $50 million. Are you shitting me? Nope. And it's sad because I remember renting What Women Want from Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> so to give you a, a short synopsis of what's going to happen in the film before we dive into detail, you guys probably remember this. You, you maybe uh, remember seeing the trailer or you probably saw it in theaters because it was a hugely successful film. Mel Gibson is a, a, an executive at an ad firm and he's a real prick to all of the women in his life. <laughs> He is a chauvinist. He he doesn't really care about anything other than getting in women's pants and making a lot of money at his ad firm. And then because he gets electrocuted, he's in like a freak accident where his hairdryer falls into his bathtub. He gains uh-huh. like like that happens because that happens in real life. Yeah, exactly. He gains <laughs> the ability to read women's minds. And so. <laughs> he kind of uses this ability as you would expect early on um and then he he eventually falls for his boss who is played by Helen Hunt uh which is fucked up don't fall for your boss no eventually falls in love with her you know reconciles a lot of the different relationships in his life and uh loses the ability to read minds when he gets electrocuted again but still decides to um Stay with Helen Hunt anyways. That's that's an incredibly reductive plot summary, but it's an incredibly reductive <laughs> film and its treatment of women and general gender relations. It's so bad. I also want to point out that in no way and at no point does it ever explain where these powers came from and who gave it to them. Yeah, there, who, who it's, gave it to it's just like an accepted fact of science. Oh, you get electrocuted. Yeah, you can read minds now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure a lot of dudes were like, oh, I gotta try this. <laughs> it's to 2000s. Everyone's doing insane shit. Exactly. The <laughs> other thing that I'll say is, out of all the movies that we're going to look at, this one might actually be the most successful uh, from a box office standpoint. So, Nadia, like you said, this opened in December. This was during the holiday season. This made a total of $374 million dollars. Worldwide or just in the U.S.? Worldwide. Half of it was in the U.S. Half of it was foreign, which is kind of weird because I don't think the humor really translates very well. No. It opened at $33 million, uh, which was number one for its week. This was the fifth highest grossing film of the year. Uh, And Box Office Mojo also has it as the third highest grossing film of all time in a genre that they appear to have made up called... (laughs) called the what if comedy what which i assume because number one was bruce almighty number two was ted so i assume they mean like a like a speculative fantasy or science fiction comedy Mm, mm -hmm. because technically every film is a what if film (laughs) right just like you know what if this fish got lost and his dad had to find him like sort of thing (laughs) 
Mel Gibson was nominated for a Golden Globe for his performance. There were also several other, uh, like, kind of lesser awards. Something called a Blockbuster Entertainment Award. Uh, Marissa Tomei got something called a Satellite Award. And then uh, Alan Silvestri wrote the score and won an ASCAP Award for Top Box Office Films. Received a Saturn Award nomination for Best Fantasy Film. This, it's just... It's a remarkably successful film. It's a fairly decorated film. As we'll see later, wow. it's a fairly well-reviewed film. And yeah. uh, and it is, uh, it's bad. Like <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's considered a fantasy and can be put up there with like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Mel Gibson, Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like, you know, what are what are all the elements of good fantasy, right? There's an internal mythology that, you know, works really well. There are characters mm-hmm. that you, you know, really uh, get to know and kind of mm-hmm. understand how they grow. There's a there's a whole world-building aspect, you know, where you see, like, Diagon Alley or the Shire, and you understand, like, how different parts of the world work. And we get none of that in this fucking thing. No, no, no not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Well, you know what? We could say that the minds of women is the fantasy land. Jesus. (laughs) Because it was definitely a movie written by a man. And I think, I think in my notes, I was taking notes, and my notes is like, I hate male writers. Uh, this was definitely written by a man. But it's Nancy Myers. It's Nancy Myers. That's what's so crazy. Uh, I know. My first note is Nancy Myers, that bitch. I know. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair. There is a redemption arc in the whole thing. The whole, I get it. I get that in the end, you know, he's starting to treat people like like people. Like human beings. Like, yeah, I get that we're supposed to get to there. But I just don't understand why. (laughs) Like, I didn't, we're going to go into the breakdown in a second here, but I did not (laughs) laugh at all while watching this film like there were there were jokes there There were clearly no no lols there were no lols there were things that i know were meant to be funny sure that just fell so flat but can we can we just get into the breakdown because i have so much i want to talk about absolutely absolutely okay so can we just start the first thing you see in the movie is you get the Hmm. backstory on mel gibson's character and why he's a prick (laughs) yes because being around a lot of women informs you on how to be awful to them instead of actually you know bonding with them seeing that they're real humans but because they're showgirls they only have the personalities that are worth like nothing apparently so the way the movie begins is that we learn that mel gibson's mom was a vegas showgirl which is apparently the worst kind of woman that you should not respect. And, like, all of his <laughs> life was just, he was a six-year-old hanging out in the in the green room and having all these other showgirls walk up and rub their boobs on him. Uh, it was weird. There was one part where he was, like, counting money with some guy at the club, and then his mom shows up, and she, like, wiggles her boobs at him. And he's like, ha, 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 ha. I'm like, you don't do that to your son. No. What was that what was nancy myers thinking like all right honey wiggle your tits like what the fuck i'm also (laughs) not convinced we really needed a backstory that explained why he was a prick 
No. Like, no. It would be okay if you were just like... So, first of all, we're getting all this narration from his ex-wife and from his assistant, who's played by Sarah Paulson. Right. Shout out Sarah Paulson. What up? I thought it was just the ex-wife while she was getting ready for her new wedding, right. by the way. Well, we get some of that, but Sarah Paulson does deliver my favorite line in the whole film early on when she's talking about uh, Mel Gibson's character saying, he's like this total bachelor and the least politically correct guy in the universe. Oh! <laughs> I forgot about that. And you hear that, you're just like, uh-oh. Here we go. Sounds like we're in for some naughty fun. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I wrote down... Nick's mother was a Las Vegas showgirl. I can see the writer of this movie jerking off to his own script. <laughs> <laughs> just the, the the horrible scenery of that just one moment and putting a child into it just as like a like a human woman. I'm thinking like what mom was okay with this to put their child in. They're like it's okay. It's a Mel Gibson movie. Like it's not a big oh, deal. Oh, you're talking about the but child the, actor. I'm talking about the child actor and the damage it caused this child. Can we find him? Where is he? <laughs> but my favorite quote about the backstory was, you don't have to be Freud to know that this is one cockeyed way to view the entire world. <laughs> well, it's good. I, I like that. Uh, I like that. It's kind of, you know, some highbrow like uh, psychiatry references in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And using cockeyed <laughs> was sweet. Yeah, no, it's a play <laughs> on words. It's great. <laughs> and the best part. The best part is we get away from the backstory that was described again by his ex-wife by a pan away from a, a shot of these Vegas showgirls and him standing in the middle. And it's an actual picture framed above his bed as an adult man. And then we pan down and he's sleeping. He's sleeping. He's got lipstick on his cheek because, uh, again, he's a player. Right, because that's what he learned. That's what he learned. And then we meet, uh, we meet his housekeeper. Yeah, one of few people of color in this movie. I feel like two people of color total, like, have actual lines in the movie. Uh, that, no, uh, three. Three, okay. Yeah, I counted. (laughs) I counted because I was pissed. (laughs) But he's, you know, he's a good buddy with her, he spanks her, he calls her babe, you know, all normal stuff. Yeah, 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 totally, and she, like, doesn't care. She's like, ha ha ha, you. Uh, she also holds up like a lacy thong and she's like, do you ever consider dating a woman who wears real underwear? And his comeback is, hey, my mother hey, wore underwear. Hey, my mother wore like underwear that. like that. <laughs> so right away, right away, you're like, this guy is normal <laughs> and awesome. <laughs> I was so fucked up. This is a hero that everyone can get behind. I love it. Uh, I am not... I have never met a man who was like, let's talk about my mom's underwear <laughs> and the type she wears. Imagine. It's just like in it. Imagine sleeping with him and like, uh. as you're undressing, he's like, oh, you know, my mom used to wear that. Oh my God. The, the weird part is, is that so far at the beginning of the movie, he's supposed to come off as charming. Like I, I get right. that charming, we're supposed to like him. Charming and masculine. Right. Like, you know, he's all these things. Don't worry about it. He's still really adorable. And I'm like, uh, I don't think so. But maybe it's because I'm looking at it from my lens. But back then, people might have been like, yeah, I can see it. Yeah. And, you know, 
from there, we see him go into a coffee shop. He bumps into a girl getting coffee so he can wipe her boob with a napkin. And she giggles the entire yeah, time. Yeah, and she's she's into it. <laughs> the first gross. the first ten minutes of this film are just like a month's worth of New Yorker expose pieces. <laughs> um, he hit so Marissa Tomei is the girl at the coffee shop. Or the who one, is a national treasure, by the way. Who's wonderful. This is a pro Mar- Marissa Tomei podcast. Yeah. He, you know, hits on her. He keeps trying to, to get her to go out with him. She keeps turning him down. But the stranger in line behind him is like, sir, that was inspiring. <laughs> oh, but the best part is after he asks her out, she says, thank you. Well, yeah. Well, it's a privilege. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going on and on. There's a, there's a cute little rapport that I'm supposed to like. Except in my mind, I'm like, she's saying no, dude. She's saying no. And then she finally says yes. And then she says, thank you. (laughs) And I'm like, what? What the fuck? But eventually we get to, like, his actual job. Right? Yeah. Beautiful. Aesthetically. Oh, gorgeous building. Yeah. Nancy Myers. It's set in Chicago, which I love. It. uh, The building, uh, as we'll discuss, is based off, like, um one of the kind of old skyscrapers in Chicago, either the Monadnock building or the, the um, I believe, the Marquette building. But he's expecting to get promoted. Right. He's confident. He does his job well. He's He knows everybody in the office. He hobnobs with everyone. He says very inappropriate comments to all the women because that's what you do. Yeah. It's fun. We're just having a good time. It's like when Mad Men first came out and, like, the, the premise was hey, it's it's all these men who work in advertising and they're real assholes, and isn't it interesting that the 60s were so different? Uh, but this movie is just like, these men are all assholes. Isn't that awesome? Right, right. And, and we're supposed to be on his side when he goes up to an assistant and tells her to stop eating this dessert <laughs> because she, he, like, looks at her and then looks her up and down. And he's like, eh, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> he also, just as a side note, he seems to have three assistants. Right, including Delta Burke. Right, he has Sarah Paulson, he has Delta Burke, there's a, a third woman. <laughs> um, Actress unknown. Yeah, um, I'll look that up later. <laughs> I'm really mad because Delta Burke on Designing Women would never light a man's cigarette, and she does it to Mel Gibson, and I'm like, this. I can't suspend my disbelief right now. I just was, it took me a really long time to get really into this movie. Honestly, the, the depiction of smoking in the film is kind of the most dated thing about it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because now, if because Mel Gibson's character smokes uh, regularly in the movie, you can't have that in a movie and not have it be rated R anymore. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, the MPAA changed their guidelines a few years ago. Um, so it's nice. very interesting to be watching a PG-13 movie and um, and see somebody smoking all the time. It's great to see those old tropes. I uh, Most of my notes are saying like, ah, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Like this one was, ah, yes. The days of smoking indoors and brown leather couches. Yeah. Be- the whole movie is just brown leather couches. So so much brown. It's so masculine. Very ma- well. That's the thing. It's it's you know the um the like the Ron Burgundy bit about the leather bound books and apartment smells like rich mahogany. It's uh-huh. there was a time when that wasn't a joke, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently oh. it was three years before Anchorman came out. Wow. Well, the the worst part for me was the actual advertising business. We actually get to hear facts about how female consumers are kind of on the rise and there's all these 
the the boss is actually spitting out statistics that are actually interesting and then Mel Gibson is distracted by a hot assistant who comes excuse in who me, excuse to be me excuse me she's asian yeah she's asian a hot asian assistant comes in and he's like i don't need your facts i'm going to look down her shirt and it's 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 disturbing <laughs> so his boss is his boss is Ellen Alda who's basically telling him i'm hiring Helen Hunt and putting her in the job you thought you were going to get promoted to Right. Because we need a woman. Because right. your ads and, and all the ads Mel Gibson does are like TNA ads, scantily clad women. They're not going to cut it if we have more and more female consumers that we need to reach. Right. And here, and the actual facts were, it, it was written so poorly. It was like they just copied and pasted some statistics from the internet, which was like... what. Obviously not the right time, but Ellen <laughs> like, Alda should have just said like women be shopping. Yeah, <laughs> it was really and the thing is is that they distracted us from those statistics so that we we also didn't really hear them right because we, we were like oh a hot Asian assistant let me drool over this girl it was it's kind of it's gross I get it I get it but, but that's but again that's played for comedy. Like it's right. It's right. like oh that rascal. Right as as was the description of Helen Hunt's character, who is this incredible advertising executive who they poached from yeah from some other firm, rival yeah. company. They describe her as a man eater, a bitch on and wheels, a bitch on wheels. <laughs> Good. I'm of gl- course. I'm glad we both uh, got that down in the notes. I only want to be called a bitch on wheels from now on. <laughs> Is actually really fucking funny. <laughs> um, but before uh, he meets her, before she comes into the office, he ends up going to his ex-wife's wedding. Uh, his right. ex-wife is played by Lauren Holly. The new husband uh, appears to be a total goober in that he wears glasses. <laughs> and a tan suit. Right. Yeah. But he learns, or uh, he confirms, I guess, that uh, because his wife is about to, his ex-wife is about to leave on a honeymoon, his daughter, who's 15 years old, is going to be staying with him for, for the next couple weeks. And this was a big deal, I remember, back then, because it was, his daughter is played by the youngest daughter from Growing Pains. Uh, her character's name was Chrissy. So I was really stoked. But then, as a kid, I was like, wow, Chrissy is you know, a teenage girl, and then they put her in all these kind of compromising situations, mm-hmm. and I just didn't like that as a child. She, like, makes out with an older guy, yeah. all this stuff. We'll get into it. <laughs> but I'm just letting you all know that I'm very disturbed. She's a young girl. She's only 15. And he wants her to cook and clean for him and give him his slippers because he's going to stay I wrote, with her. I wrote that down, too. He's, he says, you can take care of me for a change. Cook for me. Get my slippers. Like, that's your daughter. Dude, just because she's... I'm, I'm glad they gave her a daughter. I'm yeah. glad. Yeah. I, I, get, I get what the whole point is. <laughs> but this poor girl, I, I kind of would rather see the movie of this girl growing up with him as a father. That's the movie I want to be watching. Yes, exactly. And, and presumably, like, overcoming just how shitty a father he must have been for the first 15 totally. years of, of her life. That's compelling. And not to spoil it for all our listeners, but they are going to reconcile later in the film. <laughs> Even though at mm. the beginning, they establish that he is a shitty father because he actually doesn't know how old he's she is. He's off. He, he guesses she's 13, and she's like, no. She's... <laughs> I'm 15. And so that's how they show that he's a bad dad, which I... 
It just, I feel like it's lazy writing, but I don't know. <laughs> no, it's incredibly lazy writing. But let's talk about Helen Hunt. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Because next scene, everyone's in the boardroom. Helen Hunt walks in. Mel Gibson drops a pencil so he can drop to the floor and stare at her feet as she comes in. Right, because this is the meat cue. This is a very important moment. Yeah, and also Mel Gibson's character is a foot guy. Uh, which is canon, and I have evidence later in the film that I'm going to bring in to support that. Oh my god, I didn't even think of that. That's so disturbing. Yeah, no, there's another scene that's going to really drive it home, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, (gasps) Helen Hunt gives, like, this speech where she's like, hey, we all got to pull together. I believe that we can really turn this around. Uh, Mel Gibson's friend makes a jerk-off motion. To the friend's credit, he actually finishes the jerk-off and, like, mimes jizzing in Mel Gibson's eye. (laughs) Which is... Oh, and Anna Anna Gosteyer is there. Yes, Anna Gosteyer and uh, Lisa Edelstein from House. Oh, my God! This, like you said, this cast is stacked. cast is amazing. And I, could, I would rather uh, sometimes talk about the, the supporting cast than Mel Gibson because it's incredible. There's so many great performers on there, and he just, like, needles them the entire sh- the movie. And honestly, I think he is the, and I'll talk about why, you know, in a minute, but he's the only performer that I feel really falls short because I thought Helen Hunt was very charming in this movie. Oh, yeah. I thought she was great. Yeah. Marissa Tomei is great in everything. Ugh, love her. I thought, you know, the the supporting characters, you know, between Edelstein and Paulson and Judy Greer, like, all have uh, very small roles, but they all do a very good job with them. Absolutely. But but uh, Mel Gibson, you know, is kind of a, doing a different thing. Yeah, I, f- I feel like they're all kind of in different movies. Yeah. Like I, feel, I feel like Mel Gibson is definitely in, in a movie starring Mel Gibson, and everyone else is just telling the truth. That's honestly, <laughs> I would watch this movie without Mel Gibson in it. Like, I feel, oh, yeah. I feel like if you just took out his character and it was just about, like, these women at the ad firm trying to turn things around, I feel like there's something there. Those characters are interesting. Oh, totally. I'd watch that. But as the sort of icebreaker uh, for the ad firm... Uh, because it's dominated by dudes and because they're not getting um, they're not getting a lot of requests uh, or contracts from companies that make women's products, Helen Hunt is like, hey, everybody, I'm giving you a box. Uh, it's got all these products in it from companies that are seeking new agencies. There's some anti-wrinkle cream. There's some bath beads. There's a waxing kit. There's a wonder mm-hmm. bra. There's pantyhose. I would have been happy to get this box. This is a sick-ass box. Right. So she's like, tomorrow, I want pitches. Make it happen. And then we get to, like, definitely one of the most heavily advertised scenes in the film. And it, it's Mel Gibson he starts out the scene he and again this is a scene that is meant to establish how masculine mel gibson is (laughs) he is drunk on red wine right he is flipping through channels anything that is even peripherally related to women he just is like no and flips it off except for buns of the workout program he's like maybe i'll jerk off to this yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he's like, man, I gotta get to work. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I need, I need, there's too much estrogen. I need Frank. Oh, yeah. Frankie. So he puts on Frank Sinatra 
and begins one of the most cringeworthy <laughs> scenes. Extended <laughs> dance sequence. Why was it so long? Nancy Myers, I feel like this was Nancy Myers. I feel like she was yes. like, all right. It was so... We're so gonna... <laughs> to be clear, if, if, if you all haven't seen this movie, he's dancing by himself or with his coat rack for like mm-hmm. at least... like It feels like three minutes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. To, and I he's don't... got a he's got a fedora on. No, he just has the like fedora a... ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a Backstreet Boy. And again, this is meant to show, hey, look how manly this guy is, and it's easily the least masculine thing that happens in the film, at least tra- traditionally <laughs> masculine. Um, right. And this kind of gets to what I'm talking about with Mel Gibson. Nancy Myers, I feel, puts this scene in, and the scene that immediately follows it, because. There's comedy that comes from seeing this guy that we know is Mel Gibson, you know, this action movie star, sexiest man alive, doing this wacky stuff. But Mel Gibson is not a comedic actor. He's not funny. No. Um, no. He has no sense of timing. He's not no. like it, Helen Hunt and Marissa Tomei are, and, and they do, and they're very good. Uh, Nancy Myers is just like, well, if I wanna, if I wanna make people laugh with Mel Gibson, I just have to like make Mel Gibson wax his legs. Like, I can't give him right. dialogue because he can't deliver the dialogue well. Right. Yeah, he, he's a slapstick comedy guy. Right. Which, eh, for the purposes of this movie, I feel like doesn't work. But, no. you know, that's all taste, I guess. Yeah. I guess Nancy Myers was like, he's handsome, though. Exactly. His, ti- his tiny teeth are attractive. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't pay a lot of attention <laughs> to how tiny his teeth were. I have a lot of notes about how I don't understand that Mel Gibson was a sex symbol. I just don't get it. I don't, I, maybe it's because over time we've gotten more diversity and there's a lot more like hot, attractive guys in the, in the zeitgeist now. Sure. But, but back then it was, just, you know, Mel Gibson came out with a, with a mullet for, right. what was it? Lethal Weapon? Yeah, like, yeah, that was Lethal one of Weapon films. Big ones. Yeah, so like I get it. He's like a man's man. He's very macho. He's got a lot of um, gravitas, which is what I think she's trying to soften by this right. choreographed scene. And uh, a little part of me thinks it works, and a little part of me thinks it's pandering. But you know, we have to accept it because th- we have to love him. We have to see the, his beautiful view of the city. Right. This is his life. He frequently puts on Frank Sinatra and dances to be inspired. Yeah. This is kind of the the vibe that I get that we're supposed to actually root for. Exactly. The other thing that I'll I'll call out is, you know, this was back in 2000 and back then you only got one sexiest man alive a year. <laughs> That's true. The Twitter didn't exist. You had one he had to last you the whole year. There were right. no other sex symbols. Right. Uh, and that and you just made do. And you know, obviously mm-hmm. we're lucky to live in this era now. Well, I also think about uh, the promos that had to happen for movies. They started way earlier because they had to cover a lot of ground. So there were people who were actually anticipating this movie coming out and seeing Mel Gibson in a comedy. So I I, I get it. I think they're, they're definitely, I guess, kind of placating what we're expecting. But I just feel like they missed the mark a little bit because he's such a shitty character to start <laughs> that to make him dance around it doesn't make me like him anymore and it's so it long it's so long i don't get it I, I wrote down this is so old school no one makes movies like this anymore but in a good way because you know what 
I'm not going to lie. It was a little pleasant. I mean, I was like, I, I get it. I, okay. I understood that it was supposed to be charming. And that's right. as far as I'm going to go with that compliment. Uh, totally. But, but then he goes into back to the story and he, he's looking at this box and he's like, I got to think like a broad. I got to think, think like, like a broad. And I was like, you know what? You just kind of ruined that <laughs> moment where I kind of liked you for a minute, but I was making fun of your bad dancing. I, and now I'm just uncomfortable. <laughs> I do want to call out that when he says, I got to think like a broad, he goes through his daughter's music. Um, oh, yeah, try yeah, get yeah. In the mood. Best. And he eventually lands on Meredith Brooks and, and plays um, I'm a Bitch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other two albums that are shown in her bag, by the way, are um, Fiona Apple's When the Pawn and Alanis oh. Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. Which, personally, was my favorite album yeah. as a so child. So, his daughter kicks ass. Uh, she is his... awesome! Yeah. She is me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he lands on Meredith Brooks because he considers her the hottest, which I don't know if that's necessarily the way I would have gone, but... Be... Oh, did he say that? Yes. I think I might have missed that. Yes. I was pissed about him going through his daughter's bag. Oh, yeah, so no, I think that's I taking extremely notes. fucked up. <laughs> well, okay, I just want to make a note, just a side note, for all the actors out there, don't expect this to be a movie you can study to learn about romantic comedy acting or even or even prop acting because the way they... <laughs> The way that he drinks wine is the most stressful thing ever. Like, there's clearly no liquid in the bottle, but he's whipping it around, throwing it in his mouth. And I'm like, there's no truth to this, Mel Gibson. I thought you were supposed to be one of the greatest actors alive at this time. Yeah, very weak object work uh, from Mel Gibson. Very weak object work. I just needed that little asterisk for uh, all those actors out there who are like, hmm, you know, let me go look at the classics. Well, and I assume most of the people who are listening to this are aspiring actors, right? And they're sure. and they're like, you know, where am I going to learn uh, the most <laughs> about what to do, what not to do, what techniques work? Probably Tony and Nadia. Yeah. Probably definitely, them definitely. talking about movies that are 18 years old. <laughs> oh, those were the days. Well, these were considered the top movies at the time. So I'm just, I, I'm just, for those who need to research. Enormous just, hit. You know, Enormous hit. Yeah. Enormous. But anyway, so he's drunk off his ass, and he decides he's going to basically use every single product at the same time. Uh, right. So he paints his nails, he uh, waxes his leg, and again, the the comedy of that scene is just like, isn't it funny, Mel Gibson waxing his leg like a woman? Yeah, and he's he's like, huh, how do women do? That's not that bad. And then he and then he hurts himself, and I'm like, oh, this joke has been in pretty much everything since the '90s. Yeah. But. It's okay. He's going to put on pantyhose and we get to laugh at that because men dressing as women is hilarious. Funny every time. Uh, 100% uh, of the time. Funnier in 2018. Definitely. <laughs> uh, my so favorite is as he puts on the control top hose, he puts in one leg and he says, one down, two to go. Brackets. <laughs> because my dick is the size of a leg. End brackets. End quote. <laughs> I, I, I heard that and I just went, uh... <laughs> that could have been a moment for an LOL, but it didn't happen. But you know what my favorite thing is when w- watching any movie or TV show is when the character says the title of the yes! movie. Yes! <laughs> and he said, what do women looks want? Looks in the mirror. Looks in the mirror and says, what <laughs> do women want? But With pantyhose on and like trying to put on mascara. And as, and he's, as he's doing this, as he's putting this on, this is when her daughter and 
uh, his daughter and her boyfriend walk in on him. Oh, what a freaking moment. Which, walking in on your girlfriend's dad when he's, like, painting, painting his nails wearing control top hose, I understand that that's uncomfortable. Walking in on your girlfriend's dad, like, just drunk off his ass and chain-smoking, <laughs> right. I would argue is worse. But here's the, here's the question that I have, is why is his daughter walking into his bathroom with her boyfriend? That's an excellent question. It wasn't in the living room. If it had taken place in the living room, this made sense. But it was in his bathroom, in his bedroom. Like, what were they going to do? Yeah, I mean. That is never covered. Yeah. The logic here is gone. It's it's a shame because (laughs) it's really the only uh, plot hole in the movie. Uh, (laughs) Everything other than that one thing is ticked and tied perfectly. The the only one. (laughs) So it's the only plot hole. Anyway, the boyfriend, understandably, is just like, you know what? I'm going to go. Right, right, right. And uh, the daughter is humiliated. She, like, goes to her bedroom, slams the door. And uh, and that's when Mel Gibson uh, has his accident. Right. Slips on the... And this is... The slapstick continues. Yes. Slips on the bath beads, falls into the tub. Wait, that's... That fall... With the bath beads takes like two hours. <laughs> it's a long fall. I think it's there's part of it that's in slow motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like little old ladies in the movie theater in 2000 being like, "Oh my word," because <laughs> it's going on for a long time. And then uh, basically he falls in the tub. Tub has water in it. Um, the hair dryer falls in with him, which in any other circumstances he'd be dead. Right. But he only had one foot in. Only has one foot in. Screen blacks out. Mm-hmm. We hear sirens in the background, which I made me think, like, the paramedics were going to get him. There, no, like, no. the ambulance doesn't come. Like, the sirens are just ambient noise. <laughs> the daughter does not discover him, uh, although right. that would have been hilarious if she walked in on her drunk dad, on her control top hose dad, and then suicide dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, I, I mean, with the logic that they established that his daughter goes into his bathroom, she should have seen him. She should have seen him. But again, the plot hole was never fixed. I don't know why she went in there in the first place. I understand now that she doesn't go in. No. But but it makes me worried because eventually his, I think it's his housekeeper that Yes, the it. housekeeper, the one who's like assy slapped and uh, calls her <laughs> babe and is like, hey, make me a big old woman. Uh, she discovers him, um, and it's like, what the hell's wrong with you? And he's like, oh, God, I'm late for my meeting. But now we're in my single favorite part of any what-if comedy, <laughs> which is when he has his his power, his mind-reading power, but he doesn't right. know he has it yet. Right, he thinks that his housekeeper is just talking shit out about him out yeah, loud. Yeah, just, just in the open. Yeah, because she just doesn't give a shit anymore. Yeah, just like, uh, she's I like, can't I'm believe this prick keeps fun. What the hell was he doing? Like, <laughs> you don't pay me enough. Right, exactly. For what? Right. And then he goes downstairs, and we see uh, one of the only other people of color in the film. Right. Who is the uh, the door woman, uh, door person at his uh, condo, uh, the woman who calls him a cab. And she is, uh, I believe, the only black character, or one of two black characters. Yes, the only other black character is is at the end. Um, so she, you know, you know, really indulge. 
because that's the only representation we get there. Yeah, <laughs> and the good news is that this character is, I think, nuanced and complex and doesn't mm-hmm. play into any sort of... St- I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> she's hot for Mel Gibson because his ass uh, makes him look like Shaft. Right, right. You know, the classic black sex symbol from 2000. Right, that Mel Gibson resembles. <laughs> it's like... She's like, she literally says at one point, like, ooh, that Shaft-looking ass, or something like that. (laughs) It's really, really sad, because he's, like, asking her, like, what did you say? As if these kinds of comments are okay, but he just wants to make sure that she was the one who said it. He's just double-checking. Yeah, yeah, I just want to make sure. He goes to the park, because he's, like, trying to clear his head, and he's just flooded with thoughts, right? Right, but by not only female humans, but female dogs. He can hear a tiny French poodle go, ruff, ruff, I need to poop. Okay, so first of all, that poodle should not have an accent. That, <laughs> that poodle was not born in France and came over on a fucking steamer through Ellis Island. What? Where they made what the happened? poodle change its name. I need to poop. Monsieur, I need to poop. <laughs> But uh, that that actually was the only time I laughed out loud. In isolation, it is kind of funny. <laughs> but my my question is: at this point, they're building it up so kind of out of control. This power—it's mm-hmm. oh, there's too many thoughts. There's too, he's he's walking close to women, which is also just creepy. Yeah. He's getting re- really near them and putting his kind of ear by he their has face to keep his head like three inches away from their head. Again, not an acting exercise for you. That you don't indicate that you're listening. You just listen. But he's just like sticking his head in front of these women and we're hearing their thoughts and and he's coming off as such a fucking creep. And I'm thinking in my head like, who could possibly explain this magic to him? Like, where is this coming? Like, where? This is the moment where I need Morgan Freeman to come down and be like, hey, I'm God, what's up? And as he gets to the office and as he starts... Um, figuring out what's going on, he it, what comes as a shock to him is that all of these women that he's treated like complete shit uh, seem to not like him very much. <laughs> yeah, th- that makes no sense. I, I mean, I kind of feel like men who are assholes kind of know that they're assholes, but he's completely surprised. He's completely in the dark about it. He's like, they don't like me. Yeah. What are you talking about? Uh, right, so he's just stunned that, you know, uh, that walking up to Lisa Edelstein and putting his arm around her waist as they walk down the hall and, like, telling her salty jokes, for some reason has not <laughs> endeared her to him. Right, and she, and this is where I kind of feel like we're starting to see the humanity in the actual script of how people speak. And, and there's women who are like, hey, and she's like looking at her watch and saying, like, don't make eye contact. Exactly. Because she's afraid of all of his disgusting comments. And then in my, in my mind, I'm like, okay, whose side am I supposed to be on? Right now, I'm supposed to be on Mel Gibson's side, but I'm actually on her side and I'm just as uncomfortable. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's interesting because like, he obviously has treated women like shit for the first 30 minutes of this film. The message of the film seems to be that that's not a good thing, Mm -hmm. which I guess is okay. Right. But it's so 
weird how they get there. The other person he walks by is, of course, Judy Greer. Another national treasure. Another wonderful, wonderful actor. Well before she, like, uh, broke through, you know, Arrested Development would have been 2003, uh, where she played Kitty. Um, right. She is... And she was also on The Wedding plan. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. Don't forget credit where credit is due judy greer and she is having fantasies about jumping out the window and killing herself right which is something i thought about at my job maybe six times in the past week oh you're the judy greer character at work it's so he just kind of like he's like well that probably requires a follow-up uh and just like he's like mental walks past her goes to the pitch meeting right because he's ready he did his work apparently exactly Mm-hmm. But he realizes in the pitch meeting, he's got the advantage here because he can read everyone's thoughts. Right. Well, d- at this point, he's already explained his powers, quote unquote, to his friend, To his buddy, right? yes. Because he's like, right, right. he's looking, like, there's a scene where he's like ruffling through the yellow pages trying to find an exorcist. Cause, oh, yeah! Because <laughs> he thinks he has a demon inside him. Again, nobody is explaining where this magic comes from, so the only thing you can do is go into the yellow pages, because that was 2000's Google. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he explains to his friend, like, I can I can read women's minds. Like, this woman thinks you're an asshole and that you're overpaid. And he's just like, what? what? What's going That's on? Right. The, uh, there's the, the reaction that he's getting from his friend is, okay, you're a little crazy, until this meeting. Yes. And... What he does in the meeting and what he will do many times throughout the mm-hmm. film is steal women's thoughts for, for like, ad pitches and pass them off uh, as his own. Right, right. And the, the first one he steals from is Anna Gasteyer, yes. who, again, national treasure. She makes an offhanded comment because the, the product is Advil. And her offhanded comment is just like, mm, I always, I, I love Advil because it helps me fake having a headache so I don't have to have sex with my husband. Exactly. Basically yeah. is what she said. And he's like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and he steals that idea and everyone is offended. Yeah, that's, that's the best part is everybody hates it. <laughs> and Anna Gasteyer's like, huh? You re- what's happening? And he, try- he tries really hard to grill on a guest tire on it uh to be like yeah. but you do that don't you you've been icing out your husband right right it's so gross first of all it's a it's a huge invasion of privacy but also it's just gross that he keeps prying yeah. and trying to get this woman to admit that she just doesn't want to have sex with seriously husband. your husband tries to fuck you and you're like not down with that right 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 and she's like mm, stop it <laughs> it's so sad so so what ends up happening is he kind of fails yeah. in, in this meeting. Helen Hunt's kind of give like, well, I thought he was supposed to be the best guy they had here. This sucks. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. So she's going to the other women and, and he's just trying. At, at this point, I forget. Does he actually come up with something that she likes or did he just fail? No, I think he's just humiliated. Um, and oh, right. he, he just kind of has to fall back and regroup. No, of course. So, so for most screenplays, you have to do the obvious. <laughs> so, what he wants to do is recreate the night of the accident. Well, <laughs> yeah. So he's like, "How am I gonna reverse this?" Right. And so, you know, if you asked me that, if you're like recreate the accident, I'd be like, "Okay, well, I'd need a bathtub and a hair dryer." 
both of which I know are in the apartment. Right, but he goes one step further. <laughs> he puts all that shit back on. He puts on the pantyhose and the lipstick and the nail polish and he does the mascara and really just purposefully pokes himself with ma- the wand of the mascara. Yeah. Because, again, prop work. Not great. And he, he does it again. He, well, he doesn't just do it again. He walks out onto his balcony where it's, While it's, raining. Where it's a thunderstorm. Holds mm-hmm. up the hairdryer and is literally struck by a bolt of lightning. Well, after screaming to the heavens, that should to... <laughs> that should have enough energy to send him back in time. <laughs> you don't need a DeLorean. You just need a blow dryer and some rain. It does nothing. <laughs> he gets up the next morning. And he still can read women's thoughts. He he wakes up and there's no women around at first. So he's like, oh, I don't know. Right. Oh, and you know why I think that is? Why? Because it's really obvious that these were during resh- reshoots. And when he's down <laughs> outside, you can tell he's in front of a green screen. So I just think they didn't want to get the women yeah. because they would have had to pay them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One thing also as he's walking along outside is um he can now understand American Sign Language perfectly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which, given... Yeah, because he goes... He needs to find a woman. Right. Okay, so he goes to the only place he knows where there will for sure be women, which is the department store. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, women women be shopping. Is women be shopping. Yeah. So he, he eventually figures it out. Um, he sees two women that are communicating uh, in ASL, and he understands them perfectly, which, given the way ASL's linguistically structured, makes zero sense. Zero sense. And he's like... I was offended. He's like... <laughs> I need help, and we get to definitely the most disturbing scene in the film for me, uh, right. which is where he goes to visit his old uh, marriage counselor. Right, because that's what one does. <laughs> Who is Bette Midler. The incomparable What Bette Midler. I just have written in all caps in my notes, what is this cast? <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote, oh my god, Bed Midler, with like 30 exclamation yeah. points. I'm so surprised it's insane. that she, she would not do this now. No. In, <laughs> I question her judgment back then, but that's okay. So her initial diagnosis is like, oh, you have low T. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. You think you can read minds, classic low T symptom. And he eventually proves it to her doing the pick a number, think of a number trick. <laughs> right 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 and then and then she goes and she's like you know what is it okay if i smoke she goes to this little box and takes out a joint yeah and he, he just starts goes around. nuts on it yeah she's just going ham she needs to get super high to deal with this and then actually maybe it was the marijuana that gave him the wisdom but she says if you know what women want you can rule that's so fucked up Ben Midler would not say That's that. So, <laughs> it's so she doesn't say, "Oh wow, you have this mind reading power. You can probably get in a lot of women's pants." Or like, "You have this mind right. reading power that would, you know, really help you fix a lot of um, relationships in your life." Absolutely, you can understand women and create a better yeah. environment for everyone. She's like, "But no, you, you can bring about the new world order." <laughs> <laughs> you can manipulate them so that you can rule. She says the phrase, you can rule. Like, twice. She and that's when twice. you know that was written by a man. Well, <laughs> so there's two reasons that this scene was so upsetting to me. The, <laughs> the first is, 
Uh, first of all, that's just generally an incredibly uh, fucked up thing to say. Right. Totally. But the second is because uh, Bette Midler, the actor, is Jewish, and because Mel Gibson, as we now know, is extremely anti-Semitic. Holy shit! <laughs> I did not even think about this. Tony. I'm a little concerned that that's a line he like suggested for her. He's like, uh... you know, it would be cool if you <laughs> if you craved power and the creation <laughs> of a new regime. Oh, that's so gross. I never even connected those dots. <laughs> it's like, it was incredibly unsettling for me. Oh my God. That's insane. Yeah. Okay, so he so he takes this. He's like, yeah, this, sounds awesome. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he takes this like crazy kind of proclamation of what is owed to him <laughs> and he goes off into the world and everything changes. Yeah. This is when he uses his power for quote unquote evil, kind of but for him, selfish means. It, right. Yeah. Right. I would say evil. Yeah. Right. Uh, um. But the first thing uh, he he does, um, probably the first thing I think a lot of men would do if they had uh, this power is he tries to ask out Marissa Tomei again. Right. Right. Um. And she goes for it because she is lonely and she is horny, according to her thoughts. <laughs> Right, because that's how women totally think. Totally. Um, he... And oh, go ahead. Then he runs into Judy Greer. Exactly. So this is interesting, because it is a somewhat nice act, I suppose. Um, he... She drops a VHS tape, uh, <laughs> and he picks it up and is like, here, you drop this. And she thinks, like, maybe the world isn't so bad after all. Because of the action of one man... Yeah. My life has changed. It would have been hilarious if we never revisited her storyline. If that was just... <laughs> if that was just... That, that just resolved it. it. We are going to come back to Judy Greer, but that just <laughs> resolved it right away. Um. Okay, so the next part... This is where I kind of get into the point where I'm so distracted by Helen Hunt's hair. Mm-hmm. Her hair person just didn't do that great of a job. And so they're talking, and I'm watching Helen Hunt's hair. And he, she tells him that the main goal of all of this, of the Nike ad that she is in charge of, is about empowering women. And he laughs. He laughs in her face. At the and idea. he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She's ha, like, ha, ha, what ha, an ha. incredible waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just like, okay. He talks over her, which is so real. <laughs> when, when they're talking to the boss and the boss is... He steals her ideas and pitches it to the, his boss, to Alan Alda. And then she's thinking, oh my God, what did I, what, I didn't say anything. I got to say something. I got to save face. And then he talks over her. Yes. Which is when I was like, oh, now this is not, this is just too real. Yeah. I am not like a huge fan of like Sheryl Sandberg, like lean in type feminism. Um, I think there's a lot that 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 kind of omits, and I think she speaks from a position of privilege that she didn't recognize right right away. But uh, I do think this movie is a very good argument for lean-in feminism. Uh, We need to tell women to be more aggressive in the workplace because otherwise men will literally extract thoughts from their minds uh, and take credit for them. Uh, it's it's really sad. And and the, the, the phrase, she won't last a month, was said. Because of his new power, he can 
take her ideas and then she won't last a month bye one thing i do like is that he has to read minds in real time so anytime oh, right. anytime he listens to thoughts we see this in the next scene with his daughter and her friends uh anytime he's listening to thoughts he just has to stand <laughs> there with a dumb look on his face right and she's just like why is he just standing there yeah. <laughs> which was nice it, it, it kind of gives it a little bit of realism because you know if you are listening to someone's thoughts if someone like there is one instant where Helen Hunt is thinking something and says something at the same time and it jumbles up and I'm like oh that's cool it's giving this power a little bit of a dimension and with doing this in the scene where he goes to see his daughter in her bedroom and she has a couple of friends over and they're like oh it's the deadbeat dad he has no food in the house meh and and he uses this opportunity to kind of sweet talk his way into their good graces And he manipulates his daughter, and we're supposed to see this moment as kind of like a sweet interaction. Like, oh, he's turning it around. Right. But we have to remember that he's manipulating his daughter and her friends into thinking he's great just because he can read their minds. Because he would not have said, like, order a pizza, right. we have no food. He That's just not who he well, is. The entire path to redemption for this character comes from the manipulation of, of all women. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which makes no sense yeah. to me. I don't I don't understand who I'm supposed to be rooting for at any time during this movie. Well, how about the next scene where he's dating Marissa Tomei? Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the moment where he discovers he's actually not great in bed? Yeah, he's, he's bad. At, so he's having sex with Marissa Tomei. Um, right. And she's just, she's just not into it because he's, he's bad at sex. Um, right. And too much tongue in the kissing, and he smells like garlic, right. and he's a little too aggro. Right. And and you're thinking like, oh, well, that kind of makes sense. But it's clearly written, again, by a male writer, because the things that she just doesn't like are kind of stupid. Yeah. Like, she's not thinking like, oh, you know, he, he I can't believe I'm in bed with him or like I'm manipulate I've been manipulated like these are things that actual women think like well should I be sleeping with this guy she's like very bare bones right and eventually she like zones out right she's like yeah Who's on Leno she's like, tonight? Is Britney, yeah it's Britney Spears <laughs> <laughs> but oh I I do remember in the year 2000 when this movie came out it was a uh an entertainment tonight feature that Mel Gibson worked out really hard because he was going to be naked. Right. And and there's a moment where he kind of he loses his erection and he's si- he's sitting on the toilet and he's like, "Come on, yeah, buddy." He, he's, like, we he's gotta... giving his dick a pep talk. Right, because that's what one does. And then Marissa Tomei opens the door to kind of check on him because he's been in there for a second. And then you see him kind of cross his leg to cover his junk and he's naked. And so in a in a moment of kind of happiness i thought that's cool we don't have to see marissa tomei's boobs we got to see mel gibson naked and that's feminism <laughs> yeah we, fi- we, no, 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 no. we fixed we it guys it nancy myers fixed it i thought that was interesting i thought it, it that is um, interesting it was a it was a strange choice yeah um but maybe he was the one who said it he's like you know what would be really cool if i was naked you know, good good for you, Mel Gibson. I take back all the stuff I said about you. Yeah, but also Marissa Tomei 
after he starts reading her mind and using his powers for good in this situation, she calls him a sex god. Yeah, so he has, he, like, knows exactly what she wants, has amazing sex with her. She's like, oh my god, you just fucked my heart. That was so good. (laughs) Which is, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm not paraphrasing very much. But it's a callback to the fact that his dick is as big as a limb. (laughs) (laughs) I missed that. See, that's why we're doing this. (laughs) I'll always find the callbacks. Oh, so, so then we go into a montage of him reading all these women's thoughts in his life. And again, it's going back into him being a fucking creep. And he's running in like on the river or like on the lake. I don't yeah. know what's on Chicago. And and she's running and he's running right behind her like a creep and then getting really close and sticking his head kind of in her bubble. And I'm like, why isn't any woman being like, hey, get the fuck out of my space? Movie magic. I get it. <laughs> I like when he's walking through the library and just taking notes on the women studying. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and the, none of the women are studying either. They're all like, mm, I'm thinking about a man. I'm thinking about a man. Like, where were there, where were there lesbians? Uh, there are no uh, lesbians in this world. Uh, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> just FYI, there, Chicago is only straight people. Yeah, um, there are gay men, as we'll learn in a minute, but there are, um, there are no lesbians in the world of what women want. Uh, seems uh, extremely weird, but whatever. This is also where we get the visuals, uh, which again were publicized very heavily in the lead up to this film of Mel Gibson at a yoga class where he is the only man. Oh yeah, uh, right, right, and right. Mel Gibson at a nail salon, just sitting there in a turtleneck with a giant dumb fucking grin on his face. <laughs> he's learning. He's learning about not just women, but women as consumers. Exactly. Well, because he, he proves that because he goes and has these personal conversations with women at his work in the break room. And they're reacting really well. Yeah, he's, like, becoming he's, tight with them. Right, but if you really, like, pay attention, he's treating them like human beings. Mm-hmm. And it's not because he can read his, their mind. It's because he's in tune with the emotions that they're feeling. But he's seeing it as, like, oh, you know, like, I have a, a key into a woman's mind. Where he could have just asked them any kind of follow-up question that would have given him that information well that goes back to the marissa tomei sex scene i think which is like Mm -hmm. hey how do you have good sex with your partner well you're allowed to like you're allowed to talk to them (laughs) what before during or after uh sex or all three if you want but this connection that he's having with these women is considered groundbreaking and they they are like thank you so much thanks for hanging out and then he turns as he's walking out and he's like this was fun this was great in a really genuine moment of connection that he also enjoyed and there was like a hint of guilt possibly Mm -hmm. but in that moment i'm like wow if this is the time where men really didn't ask women about their emotions or have actual connections to them like what guys are identifying with this moment right now (laughs) and it scares me yeah it really it's 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 very strange because they're making this a very genuine moment where he's having a connection with people and he finds it strange yeah it's it's alarming yeah but then he (laughs) goes right back to plagiarizing ideas from helen hunt oh right 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 
Oh, and then she also has the thought that she looked at his penis. Do women do that? There's no way. No! There's no way. Only only if a man is wearing gray sweatpants have I heard a woman go, like, look at his dick. Yeah. Like, there's no <laughs> but way But nobody does that. No! And again, a, written, a movie written by a man. Yeah. It's like, women must look at her dicks all the time, right? Just like, Jesus, yeah. no. <laughs> uh, my favorite part is just the use of Frank Sinatra. Yeah in the movie like i forget sometimes that frank sinatra was such an asshole and a chauvinist <laughs> because like i ha- i have personal my grandpa really liked frank sinatra he was not a chauvinist yeah. or awful my grandfather but uh, frank sinatra was yeah, obviously well, and, and so I- i'm offended i'm like oh not frank sinatra but i i guess it's on point yeah well i i grew up in an italian family so there are like one or two people that maybe like frank sinatra a lot uh, but yeah, we should do an episode about Frank Sinatra. He was uh, he was not a great guy, um, <laughs> but kind of you know Mel Gibson ends up kind of yanking the idea for the slogan "Nike No Games Just Sports" from Helen Hunt. That was definitely a collaboration, for the record. Yeah, she she said no games. He said just sports. Yeah. the The movie did not have to continue <laughs> in the way that it did if he had said we both made it up true let we co- we collaborated on this really lame slogan yeah love ya <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't happen he was like ah, i got this idea and helen hunt was like no it's your idea yeah and so well, we accepted this. well that's like that's the lean in thing again right that's that's yeah like helen hunt doesn't it, it isn't asserting herself um right and not that she should have to but like right it's just i don't know <laughs> This movie was terrible. Um, it's, it's really bad. It's really bad. But but then we switch. We switch gears. We go back to his daughter. Well, he's, actually, he's... before the daughter, there's one thing I wanted to uh, call out. Um, oh, yeah. Which is that during one of the scenes, it, it, there's a scene where Helen Hunt is working um, late at night. Um, mm-hmm. And he eventually comes and joins her in the room, and he reads her thoughts, and she feels very alone at work. And he, you know, they start bonding over this. But... As she is working late at night, he starts observing her from a distance through the door. She's got her shoes off, her feet up on the desk. He closes <laughs> the door part way so that all he can see of Helen Hunt are her feet. He's a feet thus guy! Thus bringing back that he is a feet guy. Now, as a side note, and I'm doing this because I am dedicated to the podcast... <laughs> During this scene, I looked up Helen Hunt on WikiFeet, which is what? exactly what it sounds like. Uh, there, there is an article about what? it in Vice like two years ago, but it's a it's a page where people. Oh yeah, because I totally read Vice. Post pictures <laughs> of celebrities' feet. Are you serious? And and rank them. Uh, so Helen Hunt, uh, first of all, wears a size eight and a half. Um, <laughs> out of 1,160 total votes, received 714 five-star ratings from users, so I, I think that's Whoa. positively received. While I wow. was doing this, my wife was writing individual affirmation notes to each of her students um, because she cares about them and loves them and is dedicated to Aww. her job, and I'm, like, fucking Googling Helen Hunt's feet. Ugh. <laughs> uh. But let's talk it's about so let's talk sad. about his daughter because they're they're about to go yeah, shopping, yeah. right? <clears throat> and this is this is where again it's supposed to be a sweet thing. So they're starting to play "What a Girl mm-hmm. Wants" by Christina Aguilera while she goes prom dress shopping. I don't think this scene needed to be more than eight seconds long. 
Oh, but they made it like two it was minutes long. long. But there was a moment in there where Mel Gibson looks up the skirt of a mannequin just to make sure she's waxed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you caught that. I didn't. But it it was wild. He's like watching his daughter parade around in these beautiful gowns mm-hmm. and looks up the skirt of a mannequin. Like, what, what's your story? I am so disturbed. You seem awfully quiet. It's bad. So so then he, they're having this cute little moment. She picks the dress. She, he loves it. They're all great. They go to lunch, and he discovers by reading her mind while they're at the department store that this is the last dress that she's going to wear as a virgin. Right. She's planning to lose her virginity on prom night. Um, right. Her boyf- With her older her boyfriend. Her boyfriend is 18. She's 15. Ugh. Um, so he tries to give her the sex talk uh, over lunch, <laughs> during which he does literally say the phrase, not all guys. Not all guys? I wrote that too! <laughs> that was so crazy! Uh, it's like they just invented the not all men hashtag in this movie. But it, it's interesting because the, the daughter says something that makes him realize that she's right, which is that she's ne- he's never had a real relationship with anyone mm-hmm. in his entire life. And there's a pause there, a Mel Gibson prop work pause, where he's holding up the glass to his mouth, but he doesn't take a sip. And he's like, oh, maybe she has a point. And then you're like, oh, cool, like, this is great. Like, he's really listening to what she's saying. But he goes back again into talking about how all men want is sex. And so it kind of negates what she's saying because he's talking about his priority which is sex and dominating women yeah and then all all the women around him are like buddy yeah exactly (laughs) that was that was the best part of seeing all the women around him being like oh boy yeah (laughs) so now that he's you know gotten more in tune with women he we see a callback to him watching tv again yeah but this time there's ladies in it and he's okay Mm -hmm. with it and actually he cries Right. He also watches the Food Network. <laughs> and he's like, boxing? No, let's put it on Martha Stewart. Yeah. That's what women do. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Helen Hunt calls him. Uh, he can read minds over the phone also, by the way. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Because she says, I feel like you're a bit of a mind reader. <laughs> uh, she's falling for him. They go to a jazz club um, called The Back Door. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> she's a terrible name horrible but they end up basically uh even though not only are the co-workers but mel gibson is actually helen hunt's direct report um they end up making out uh in the booth of the jazz restaurant and it leads to mel gibson giving this really emotional line reading of i've never had this much fun making out oh yeah (laughs) well you're forgetting though a very important part is that helen hunt gives us a little bit of her backstory yes of course and how she really wants people to just love her for who she is which is such again a male writer thing it's like this woman just really wants to be seen as a person and her whole mo is that she is being herself and she's suffering from it she says the line this is the price i pay for being me because her ex-husband leaves her because work is a priority. Right. She's too she's too assertive. She speaks her mind too much. Right. And that's considered a negative and nobody likes her for it and I wanted to cry. <laughs> I like my only reaction was to just get teary-eyed because it's like this is so depressing that her main obstacle is that she just wants to be herself and nobody loves her. 
because she's a woman who's trying to be powerful. Yeah. It's so sad. Well, I'll tell you um, what I think is sadder is the scene that immediately follows this one. (laughs) Uh, Which is Mel Gibson goes home and who's there stalking him outside of his building? Marissa Marissa Tomei, Tomei. national treasure. Um, So apparently it's only been six days uh, since they slept together. So so just timeline, just to review really quick. um, Nick has slept with Marissa Tomei, and then in the past six days has fallen completely in love irrevocably with a different person. Right. Well, I just want to say that I read a study uh, that men fall in love in up to three days and women fall in love in up to two weeks. Uh, You know, obviously with a lot of different factors, but spending a lot of time with someone takes about three days for men to fall in love and two weeks for women. Hilarious. Because there was six days in this movie, and he completely forgot about Marissa Tomei, like, even though he promised her that he would, like, not that hurt he her. he would call her, yeah. <laughs> right, um, and she doesn't. But the, the conclusion, Marissa Tomei has exhausted every ounce of her rational thought, her logic. There is only right. one possible explanation for how a man can be so good at sex, and yet... <laughs> Not into Marissa Tomei, which is, of course, he's gay. That he must be gay, because see, if you're good at if if you're a man and you're good at sex, Nadia, uh, and right. and just to be clear, I'm a man. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like average, probably. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to know this. <laughs> If you're if you're a man and you're good at sex, the only way to be good at sex is to think like a woman, and only gay men can think like women. Which is okay. Now it's a PSA. Right now if we're learning. Are, stuff. If you are a man, if you are a man and you're good at sex, really, really take a hard look at yourself, and and see if you're gay. Yeah, that's that's the message you're getting here. But this is an interesting scene because Mel Gibson reads her mind, and she is clearly racked with right fear of rejection, losing yeah. it. And um, it's actually kind of an interesting scene because he decides to spare her feelings and tell her, yes, I, I'm gay. You're right. Um, right. And she's completely relieved. Yeah. And again, this scene is played for comedy. Nancy Myers is like, the funniest thing in the world would be Mel Gibson saying, I'm gay. Right. Because why would anyone Why would say anyone that? say that? Yeah. Marissa Tomei's like, well, if things should ever change in that department, which, as we know, happens all the time. Sure. And he's like, oh, you'll be the first to know. Because sexuality is a spectrum, Mel Gibson, <laughs> goddammit. He's like, you'll be the first to know, and then they give each other solidarity fists. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gay power. It's so strange. That I think that was one of the moments where I was just like, when is this going to end? This movie's so long. It's so long. <laughs> We're not there yet. <laughs> One of my favorite things is in the subsequent scene, he is talking to his friend again, again at work, and he says, you know, I'm learning a lot. Did you know penis envy is not true? Yeah. (laughs) And his friend is like, what, are you officially a woman now? Right. But he also, during this scene, um, starts having some, some, like, uh, moral crises, right? He tries to hand off the Nike pitch to Helen Hunt. He right. learns why Judy Greer was suicidal. 
Um, right. Because uh, he passed her over for a promotion to copywriter. Mm-hmm. He didn't even meet with her. He told his assistant to blow her off. So sad. So, but then... Because she wasn't hot, Tony. She wasn't hot. No. She, She's a why would... plain, homely copywriter. But we see his pitch to Nike. It's his Don Draper moment. Right. And we see we see one woman of color. Yes, that's the third woman. It was the ad exec, right? Who's like... Yeah. He's like, where There's do I sign? There's four. We're, we, still, we, we still have one more, and I'll tell you about it after. <gasps> oh, God. I know who it is. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, I, I'm keeping track of all of the people of color for from now on for a lot of these movies because there are very few. And th- that one woman had one line, which was, that's a grand slam. Yeah, exactly. Well, she works for <laughs> Nike, so it has to be a sports thing. Right. So he has his pitch. Helen, you know, they celebrate afterwards. She comes to his office with champagne to celebrate. Wait a second. She dances to Sinatra too? What? They're perfect Parallel. for each other. Jeez Louise. But he's still racked with guilt, right? Right, right. He stole her idea. He goes and visits her in her new condo in, it looks like it's in Old Town in Chicago. And, you know, it seems like everything's okay, although he feels kind of guilty. Right. But then it starts to get romantic and I lose complete interest. <laughs> it's, it, I, I, again, again, it's, I don't understand why Mel Gibson was such a sexy heartthrob for so many. Yeah. Because I felt uncomfortable. <laughs> he does not look like a good kisser. No. It just, it just all looks bad. Yeah. But it's okay. Because, you know, I like Helen Hunt. I'm rooting for her. Absolutely. But when you're rooting for somebody who is being manipulated by everyone around her, you're going to get disappointed. Because the next thing is Alan Alda is just talking shit about her and how she's just not he's she's not good he's like you nailed it nick we are purging all women from the company (laughs) i don't even know why we hired helen hunt you fucking nailed nike nick you're a superstar nick is mel gibson's character's name by the way i don't know if we ever said that (laughs) (laughs) well we can insert that well well, i'll fix that in post um Ugh, it's it's really sad. Uh, Alan Alda bums me out because I think he's great and oh, he's, he's horrible. Great actor, great actor, horrible yeah, character. Yeah. But but for the first time, we actually see Nick experience guilt and is like, no, like you can't you can't get rid of her. He's like, it's too late. I already told the board. We gave her a severance. Basically, she's out. And he's like, you got to call her. That wasn't my idea. That was her idea. And Alan Alda has no reaction to that. <laughs> But then he Zero. he can't even follow up on that because someone else is missing from the office. Yeah, he's got to do go take care of some other business because Judy Greer is probably going to kill herself. So she's missing. Nobody knows where she is. Nobody really asks about her, even though there's stacks and stacks of files on her chair that she's in charge of. And she had said at the beginning of the movie, I bet you they would. it'll take them a few days to notice. Right. She thinks people are going to find her body like partially decomposed he races to find her in the rain she lives in like a hell world alley in chinatown (laughs) where we see the other person of color a tiny little asian lady with an umbrella where who uh nick asks you know hey can you do you know where this is and i think she is god (laughs) so in the mythology of what women want it's like, yeah. electrocuting people who can read your mind, and then she's the god character. We just didn't build her out a lot. 
I think she's God because there's this weird moment where he's looking at her and she's looking at him kind of knowingly, kind of like the woman in Freaky Friday who gives uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan the fortune cookie. Oh, the new Freaky Friday. She just gives the, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, the new one where she gives her them a knowing look. It's like a similar knowing look. And Mel Gibson's like, hmm? And then he gets electrocuted. And so I think that she's God. I think she's God. <laughs> a transformer blows up. This is the third time in the movie that Mel Gibson is electrocuted. Right. <laughs> but he doesn't fall or anything. He just kind no, of stands there, there. No adverse effects whatsoever. No. And then and then he turns around and the little Asian lady. Yeah, gone. you're right. She's at least an angel. Maybe an angel. Right. Um, but anyways, he does what any uh, boss would do in this situation, which is he breaks into Judy Greer's apartment. Right. And he finds an empty pill bottle and a partial suicide note. And then Judy Greer's just there and she's like, what are you doing here? She's she's about to attack him because she thinks someone's in her house. Which someone is. Like, she, she would be right. right to do that. She's like, Mr. Marshall, what are you doing here? I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> she was just kind of like, well, okay, you're here. I'll accept this. And he doesn't put together right away um but he eventually does he can't read her mind anymore the electrical shock has removed his mind reading powers right right and he's he's asking her you're thinking right now you you've been having thoughts and she's like i'm having a million thoughts (laughs) he's like but do you have a thought in your head right now (laughs) she's like i'm offended she's she's like we all have an internal monologue that is going on in our heads at all times Right. But then he takes that moment, and this is where we see a big change in his character, and he's like, well, I, I want to bring you on an, on our team for Nike, because you're, I hear you're a copywriter, and I, I didn't even get to meet with you, but I hear you're great. So then we go... <laughs> I, <laughs> then we sorry, move on I just from the... I'm so glad we cleared that up. I'm so glad we cleared that up, because... Uh... That was something that needed to be cleared yeah. up because I, I think that they kind of tossed around suicide in a really uh, shallow, <laughs> really way. ham-handed way. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's very important for us to be very clear that if you are depressed and having suicidal thoughts, you need to seek yeah. help. Do not pull a Judy. Greer. Do not look to what women want. No. <laughs> for psychiatric guidance. No, 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 no. Uh, so then we we see him. He's happy with what he's done, yeah. but he's got a, he gets a phone call from his ex-wife and she's on a cruise and she's like, hey, our daughter has been calling me from a payphone from her prom, which you forgot about. <laughs> so there's no point in either of her parents being good enough parents that they're around during her prom to take a picture of her, by the way. Both parents are gone, <laughs> which nobody has pointed out. And she goes to prom alone (laughs) so sad it's sad but it did give us the image of mel gibson just a grown adult man walking into high school prom and just asking random people hey where's alex marshall she's a little 10th grader and she has brown hair and everybody's just like oh yeah she's over in the bed like no questions about hey who is this guy yeah yeah exactly he's also wearing like a trench coat which is (laughs) the the creepiest (laughs) of coats the creepiest of coats. Oh, and, and this is where we also see an Easter egg of one other person of color. There's an Asian young woman walking out of the bathroom. An extra. Good for her. 
Yeah, do, uh, we're only counting people who have lines, though, I think. Oh, I'm so sad. <laughs> well, there was the representation. I'm really upset. <laughs> <laughs> she did do a very good double take, and I was very proud nice, of her. Nice, nice. Uh, and so he walks into the bathroom, and she's hysterical, locked in a stall. And she's t- telling him that her boyfriend dumped her because she wouldn't have sex with him. So the talk stuck. Yeah. She wasn't ready, and she communicated it very clearly, and he was like, psh, what a waste. <laughs> well, <laughs> I shouldn't have asked dude, a 15-year-old girl. Yeah, I mean, her boyfriend, the character's name is Cameron. I kept writing it in my notes as Cameron, like the rapper, uh, with an apostrophe. <laughs> you know, the dude spent $400 to try to fuck a 15-year-old, so... So disgusting. He, I know a lot of guys like him, though, and I hate He them. appears to have been <laughs> upset. <laughs> Right, he's like, Psh, what a waste. That's literally the line. Yeah, Psh, what a waste. But he, <laughs> but but uh, Mel Gibson, I think, genuinely, you know, does a good job consoling his daughter. Absolutely, and she comes out, and and she's very timid, and she's like, "Take me home, Dad." Yeah. And it's it's a nice moment where she calls his house a home finally, and they have this great moment. He tucks her into bed, and then he's like, "You know what? I'm gonna leave my 15 year old alone because I gotta go." Tie up some loose ends. <laughs> Movie's almost over. So he goes. So he leaves her there. Helen Hunt is there wearing khakis again. Yeah. <laughs> goes to Helen Hunt. He fesses up to like, I stole your idea. You should have your job back. Ellen Alda should have called you. Check your voicemail. Right. And he says, you know, as he learned about her, uh, mm-hmm. she, and I wrote down the quote, you shook my world. You changed my life. You dazzled me. And she's like, okay, if I have my job back, I'm going to fire you. Uh, yeah! <laughs> uh, which which he deserves. Uh, absolutely. And he acknowledges that. And then right. he leaves. And then the weirdest fucking thing in the movie happens, I think, which is yeah. she just comes out of her apartment and is like, you know what? I changed my mind. Yeah. She's like, I'm, I... I I thought about firing you first because I'm a businesswoman first and that's why nobody loves me. But as a woman, I want to get in your pants. That's basically what I got from it. Because he said the words, you dazzled me. And she was just like, holy shit, panty dropper. And she, and they make out again. There's so much, Mm -hmm. so much making out in this film. They make out. It's so bad looking. They make (laughs) out in her stairwell and she, and it just fades out. That's the end of the movie. Think, There's no resolution. We have no idea what like, happened. We don't know what happens at the ad firm. We don't know how his relationship with his daughter <laughs> goes from here. We don't even know if he like makes it past this night with Helen Hunt. We don't know what happens if Marissa Tomei finds out. Just fades out. Hey, that's it. Sorry you sat through two hours of this shit. Yeah. It's so... It doesn't feel at all satisfying. I want I want a little bit... Maybe like... You know, at the end of that thing you do when they have the the text about yes. where they are now, that could have been helpful, you know, something nice, or maybe even like a tag of, you know, I don't know, Marissa Tomei seeing him with her and he has to like lie about that it was his beard. I don't know, something funny, yeah. but that was just the way that it ended and it was supposed to be romantic and it it's wasn't. very sudden. Ugh, it's really just bad but it was one of the highest grossing movies of, of the year 2000 <laughs> and it was one of the best reviews you want to do reviews oh yeah let's do reviews definitely i'm actually uh, there's like two that i want to share uh with you um Please. and they're both from really 
they're, they're from titans of uh, film criticism. Uh, the first is from Entertainment Weekly, uh, and this is Owen Gleiberman, uh, who is a longtime uh, film critic for the magazine. And I, I want to read you part of this review because he, he, he tries to invent a new uh, catchphrase or a new term in the review, and I want oh you to see if, if you can spot where it is. Okay. Uh, quote, A chick flick tells women that they can be post-feminist adventurers and still land a man in an old-fashioned fairy tale way. A gick flick does just the opposite. It reassures... What? <laughs> um, so he's trying to say gick flick. I assume he's mushing together the words guy and chick flick, which he, by the way, later in the same review, abandons that. He just goes with guy flick, like, halfway through writing it. He was like, this is stupid. Oh my god, no editor was like, yo, <laughs> this sounds like a slur. <laughs> <laughs> well, gick flick... I can't even say it. Gick flick to me sounds like one of those weird, like specific pornos where like there's no nudity. <laughs> it's just a woman like shuffling cards really slowly and staring at the oh, wait, camera. It's like an ASMR yeah, it's an ASMR kind of genre, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, he goes on to say, like, uh, Gibson in a disarmingly nimble and fast break performance. Make uh, makes Nick's new hyper empathy looks like look like the essence of virile panache. Um, so that's Ooh, stupid. Uh, but even that is stupid. even stupider. Um, Roger Ebert himself. Oh yeah, writing for the Chicago Sun Times, Pulitzer Prize winner, one of the most beloved film critics of all time, <laughs> gave this movie three stars, and said. The movie, uh, part of the review, he writes, quote, the movie is considerably slowed down by the unnecessary character of a suicidal file clerk who does who <laughs> does nothing of any interest until late in the movie when Nick befriends her in a scene that serves no purpose except to delay us on the way to the climax. If the movie is imperfect, it's not boring and often very funny. Here, I disagree, <laughs> I disagree with Ebert. Um, Me too. It's often very funny, as in a solo dance that Nick does in his apartment to Frank Sinatra. This, we imagine, is the way the Tom Cruise character in Risky Business might have ended some of his evenings if he had grown up to be Nick Marshall. Oh, good God. Ebert <laughs> also adds a little thing to the end of his review where he says, um, The set for the ad agency's office is inviting and seems lived in. Inspired by Chicago's 19th century Monadnock building, it looks plausible as an ad agency headquarters and allows sight lines that are important to the action. And then he calls out, like, the production designers for doing a good job. I just feel like if in your review you're complimenting the sight lines, <laughs> I feel like something was missing in the screenplay. I found it very interesting that every single review that I read just talked about how Mel Gibson was very charming, but went into zero analysis on his character, zero analysis on Helen Hunt's character. It was all about how Mel Gibson has a megawatt smile... And how uh, Helen Hunt is charming. It's so... Uh... That's it. There was no critical eye. The, the one review that I did find that did have a critical eye is from commonsensemedia.org. Nice. <laughs> Which was, what parents need to know. Parents need to know that this movie has stronger language than indicated by the previews. <gasps> Nick manipulates the waitress into having sex with him by reading her thoughts. He's appalled to hear her thoughts in bed and find out what a poor lover he is, so he listens to her thoughts and is able to give her an extraordinary experience, which leaves her deeply touched. He then forgets all about her until he confronts him a week later. This is definitely something to talk to your kids about. 
<laughs> you you may want to talk about pressures about having sex, especially about Nick's 15-year-old daughter. You should also talk about how small acts of kindness have can be very important to someone who's coping with depression. I don't have a I that's, don't have a response for any of that. Isn't that This is actually something that's like a good thing, but none of the mainstream reviews talk yeah. about it. This is a conservative parents right. website. And I'm like, what? This is not okay. <laughs> the the other things I wanted to talk about um, really briefly are um, Mel Gibson's rehabilitation. Um, so in, right. in the mid to late 2000s, obviously Mel Gibson fell from grace. We all know why he was arrested for DUIs. Um, he was accused of assaulting uh, his wives, he, ha- he has had three different wives. Um, his uh, views on politics are incredibly... Um, disturbing and retrograde he mm-hmm. identifies as a as a very conservative catholic and he uh you know he got pulled over by a cop while drunk driving and uh asked the cop if he was a jew because the jews are responsible for creating all the wars it's horrible Ugh. it's terrible Ugh. he tried to rehabilitate himself in hollywood multiple times unsuccessfully he tried to star in The Hangover Part 3 and couldn't because Galifianakis refused to work with him. Um, oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Wow, good for Zach. He, uh, he has had smaller parts in bit comedies, uh, including um, more recently Daddy's Home 2. But the thing is, right now, Mel Gibson is actually kind of finding his way back into Hollywood's good graces. Last year, he was nominated for an Oscar for Best Director for his film Hacksaw Ridge. He was doing the late-night show interviews, um, where he conveniently uh, wasn't asked a lot of questions about his past um, horrible things that he's said and done. Even, you know, when he was on top of the world, he was making movies like What Women Want, which was dumb and uh, and also (laughs) regressive. But on a lighter note, I also want to talk about uh, the reboot. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because right now it's in pre-development, but there's going to be a gender-flipped reboot uh, called What Men Want, starring Taraji P. Henson. Ugh, the incomparable. Who's great. Great, but I don't think we need this. (laughs) I don't understand how a movie called What Men Want can possibly be longer than 10 minutes. I agree with you 100%. But you know what? I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because Taraji P. Henson is one of the greatest actors out there right now. And so, you know, if they're going to kind of tailor it to her sensibilities, it might be a little smarter. But who knows? You're okay. Like... That would mean, if we're doing a gender flip reboot, that would mean the main character would be a woman who's like, I have no idea what men think about. Right. Well, maybe they'll... Okay. (laughs) All right. So there's... I gotta go into this. So there's a Chinese remake of What Women Want uh, that was made in 2011. And it's basically a shot-for-shot remake. But Helen Hunt's character is played by Gu Li. And she is like a homely kind of ugly aka she just wears glasses Mm -hmm. uh executive who has like an online boyfriend and like that's kind of her storyline where she just doesn't know what men want she's kind of getting these messages from men that she doesn't know what's going on and in the end the the online boyfriend ends up being like a headhunter who wants to give her a job so like there's a little bit of like, I don't really know what men want. So maybe it's taking that angle and having Paraji 
oh, I'm sorry, Taraji P. Henson take, like, maybe she's bad at men. She can't, okay. she's very nerdy. That's kind of the angle I feel like is the only way it could work. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I have faith in her. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I, she's... I'm not saying that the that the screenwriters stole from the 2001 remake from China, but I'm just saying that, you know, this, I, I feel like that's the only angle that could potentially be plausible because that movie it, it would be a five minute long yeah movie. like i have faith in, like she's clearly uh far more charismatic than mel gibson um sure so you know i got i got faith in her maybe oh i'm gonna speculate maybe it is about how women assume that men only want sex and she starts reading their minds and realizes that men are actually sensitive. I don't know. And... She's like, if <laughs> if you assume men only want sex, you're like 90% of the way there. <laughs> Very well played. Yeah. Uh, Very well played. Yeah, we're, we're not. We're not complicated. I'm sorry. No. It's true. <laughs> so I have three questions I, I want to ask you to wrap up. Um, okay. And you already know what they are because I texted them to you. But what, what is something from the film that you think uh, still works today? Something from the film I feel like still works today is the the complications between a father and a daughter. Mm-hmm. I think I think that part of the movie was the only part that was very compelling. Unfortunately, it had a little bit of the actual movie in it which was that he could read his daughter's <laughs> minds but the the part where he actually treated her as a person and not just a daughter and an you know someone to be an authority figure over was really nice and i felt that they were very sweet moments and the actress that plays his daughter i'm so sorry that i don't know her name i think she was very good so i feel like that part worked what do you think no i think <laughs> I get Marissa Tomei being afraid of being rejected. Yes. I get that. Mm-hmm. That, I I don't like that, you know, she, she went with, he must be gay. Oh, God, I hope he's gay. Right. Like, But I get her insecurity, <laughs> and I get that actually reaching Mel Gibson. So that... The, the premise was good, but the execution precisely. wasn't. Precisely, yeah. Okay, fair. So... You know, my second question is, uh, what's something that you think, you know, probably worked in 2000, but definitely does not land in 2018? The suicide arc. <laughs> yeah. God. I mean, all of it, but also the, the suicide arc, I feel, is um, such a small thing that even critics are saying it was unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, I guess it does humanize him at the end because this is the moment where he can have a human connection without reading her mind because this is about life and death. This is about suicide. This is a really big issue. But it was such a small comedic moment that it just doesn't... It, it I don't know. I, I It probably landed back then because we didn't talk about it. But now it's kind of sad and haphazard. And I feel like that character... They did a disservice to that character for sure. Mm-hmm. And you? I, I, I would agree with that. I also think, um, I think showing Mel Gibson as like a chain smoker um, to show him as manly was interesting because I don't think that would land now. I think um, I think the whole scene where he's trying on the control top hose, like that whole sequence, probably got huge laughs in the theater. 
Oh um, yeah, yeah. And totally. I just watched it stone faced at eight thirty a.m. on a Sunday <laughs> while I thought I had carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> if there was something you really needed, it was a laugh. Yeah. And you just didn't get it. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of homophobia, transphobia, oh, yeah. and just a lot of it throughout the movie. It's not something to not expect, which is to say, just don't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you. The, the the main takeaway is just if 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 that's offensive to you, it to the point where it takes you out of the of the suspending your disbelief. Don't watch it. It is very offensive. It's very. Uh, it's horrifying, yeah. honestly, is the only word that I can use. So, yeah, I agree with you there. <laughs> and then last question, something that doesn't work now and also probably shouldn't have happened then. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I want to hear yours uh, It's definitely Bette Midler, New World Order. <laughs> so something that didn't work then that still doesn't work yeah. now? Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I would have to agree. I, I also think the... Oh, this one's tough. I honestly feel like just the whole thing. Yeah, the, the entire <laughs> film. You know what didn't work for me? And di- I remember watching this movie as a kid, and I felt like his like best friend at work didn't work for me. And even more so now, because he's such a fucking he's asshole. He's so toxic, and he's like, Does yeah. The- does the jerk off motion and the whole thing like he's an he was an asshole then he is an asshole now nobody would write a best friend like this now if if they did it would be you know like some sort of goofy person of color possibly or a bobby moynihan type who just didn't know anything about women but in that time they were just like let's give him just an equally disgusting fucking guy to be his friend and it just it's just not good all around. There was no there was nobody there to be the straight man for mm-hmm. him. And I feel like that's what this movie really needed. Yeah. So I would say listeners, that's the takeaway is uh don't don't see the movie. <laughs> You're probably not in a situation where uh you even have a chance to see the movie cuz it uh came out 18 years ago. But uh right. but don't see it. It sucks. Uh it's garbage. Uh we were not fans. It's <laughs> aged incredibly poorly. Uh, we're going to be watching a lot of films like this. Uh, yeah. we got some TV we'll, we'll shows let you know planned. if there's, yeah, we'll let you know if there's going to be any laughing or not laughing. We'll let you know if there will be any crying for reasons related to the movie or just because of how it's made. Absolutely. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, that's our show for this week. Uh, and thanks for listening. We hope you'll keep listening because we have a lot of cool things planned in terms of what we'll be watching and listening to. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at ProllyShoulda, P-R-O-L-L-Y-S-H-O-U-L-D-A. You can also follow us individually on Twitter. Nadia is at It's Nadia Vasquez. Uh, I am at IMAX Afterlife. Uh, As we're recording this, we haven't uh, bought our domain name or set up our Facebook page yet, but that'll probably be set up by the time this airs, so you can also find those. But yeah, thanks so much and uh, we will see you next week.